Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Happy holidays, everyone. I hope you're having a great holiday season and whatever holiday festivities you are having. I hope they're going well and you're enjoying them. Uh, this is the final episode of the Policy Viz podcast for 2017, and quite a year it has been. And to help me talk about both the past and the future of data visualization, I'm really happy to have my old friend Andy Kirk on the show. Captain Kirk, how are you, friend? I'm good, sir. Nice to be here again for what I think is my third possibly that's podcast. Right. I'll have to get Kasara exactly. and, and Cairo back on and you guys can all fight it out. And, um... <laughs> no, yeah. But it's, uh, no, it's great to speak to you again. Yeah. How are things for you? Okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, again, a long, busy year. Good year. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've reached the end in terms of, uh, I guess, commercial commitments. So last few weeks of the year, really just trying to sit down and do some pr- proper work, do some that's planning. Great. You know, these are the important things. So yeah, all yeah. good. Thanks. That's great. That's great. Um, you've had a busy year. Mm. I want to talk about uh, some of the projects you've done, and then we can just chat. Because, mm. you know, who doesn't want to hear Andy Kirk talk <laughs> about, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, I want to start with, I was about to say this might have been your biggest project of the year, but I'm not sure that's true. Maybe your biggest public project of the year, the uh, Chartmaker directory. Yeah. I think that's probably your biggest project, at least publicly, that you pulled together this huge resource of graphic and data visualization tools. So can I ask you to talk about where the idea came from? Because you already have this huge compilation of resources mm. and tools. And then this Chartmaker directory is a little different spin on Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a sense, it has been a very big project because it's been in the workings for a long time. I mean, I kind of uh, sympathize with my training workshop delegates over the last two years because I've kept saying, coming soon, coming soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it kind of comes out of that world of, of training people because the gist of this resource is that it tries to ask, sorry, answer the question, which tools make which charts and which charts can be made in which tools? And I've always kind of stumbled with a kind of coherent answer to that given the variety of tools that do exist. And, and of course, the relatively unlimited ways that we can portray data in charts. So you mentioned the other catalog that I do have on the website, the the resources in general, and this compiles, I think it's about 330 plus, you know, distinct visualization tools, but not necessarily all those tools are primarily chart making tools. They will Mm -hmm. assist you in the workflow, but they don't necessarily just help you to simply make a chart. So what I wanted to do was to to bring together a, a common resource for the public that would organize the hundreds of bookmarks that I've made down the years for basically tutorials and or references to help people know how to make a given chart in mm-hmm. a given tool. But I also wanted to double up as the, the, the tool as a kind of open source or crowdsource means to get others to send in and submit their own discovered references and how-tos that, you know, just sit in the in the shadows of the web that would help you know just to really build up this resource into a over time almost a, i guess a tariff that kind of shows you what you can achieve in which tool now at the moment the gaps that exist and just for those who've not been to it if you imagine a, a table structure across the top the column headers these are the tools and there's about 30 or 40 selected tools down the side you've got about 50 or so chart types but the intersecting cells You've got a hollow circle, which indicates, yes, you can make that chart. And here's an example of somebody who's done that. The filled circles say, yes, you can make that chart in this tool. 
but here's how. So it's a bit more of an instructive reference. And it might be a tutorial that's written down. It might be a, a demo. It might be a video tutorial. It might be a workbook you can download. But at the moment, the gaps that exist don't necessarily mean that you can't make that chart in that tool. It might be that we've not discovered the means to do it. But increasingly, the gaps will be meaningful. And it hopefully will give people a sense when they come to the site of many questions can get answered immediately if I need to make, let's say, a Sankey diagram, which tools mm -hmm. give me that means. If I've got Excel as a tool, what charts can be made that I didn't actually think I could make? You know, which ones can be hacked into a solution? So yeah. hopefully it gives people a sense of what's what's possible. But yeah, it's been a very, a very useful project, selfishly for myself in as much as anything else, just to get a sense of the landscape. But hopefully over time, it will uh, be a, a useful resource for others to, to visit and, and, and also hopefully contribute to. So now when you're asked at a workshop or a client says, what tool should I use? Do you just point them to the chart maker directory or do you, do you have a conversation and say, well, are you, know, are you comfortable coding? Do you need a drag and drop? What's your budget situation? Like, how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, well, in the context of a workshop, it usually is a tool that I refer to after I've been through the discussion of chart types as a, right. as a concept in general. So in a sense that whets the appetite and people get excited saying, oh, I'd like to make that chart. That's, that's a perfect yeah. use case that I have for that chart. But I can't make it because I've got X, Y, and Z tool. And then I'll say, ah, but all is not lost. Because <laughs> someone like, I don't know, John Schwabish, for example, has written a tutorial about how to make a grid map in Excel. And here's the here's the how to do it. So yeah, you don't want to trust that guy. Though. No. Well, you know, it's it's in the to-do list that uh, that the contribution. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it it is something that I, I largely kind of pass on to them to find their own way around because they'll all yeah. have different circumstances. But it, it is something that I just try and, again, the, the context of Excel, I think, is perfect. You know, there are so many more charts that you can make in that tool. It might not be elegant as a solution. It might not be automatable or replicable as a solution. Um, but if it's if it's one-off, then, yes, you can make a waffle chart using the grid mm -hmm. structure of the worksheet. So right. it's just to try, I guess, open people's eyes to those. You never thought this tool could do this thing, but it can conversations yeah i mean i get the same question all the time it's just a it's a tricky answer because there's so many variables that go into it and people want sort of the one ring the one tool to rule them all <laughs> and i don't think that tool really exists no. and i mean i think it's dangerous were we to have that tool yeah right because you have people who maybe they're not very comfortable working with data and you don't want them to be able to just do anything with data you know you should really have to think about it exactly yeah um, yeah so it's a great project. I had fun at the very beginning when I was fighting with Martin Lambrix about who would have the most contributions. I think then, you've still got the crown, John, actually. I think you're still wow. king wow. of the hill. Right, so I've other listeners some, out some. there, if you want to topple, topple the man, <laughs> <laughs> please, please go ahead. <laughs> so what are the top tools out there, or, or top submissions, I'd say, by tool? I think, well, there are probably two that dominate. I mean, D3.js, you've got yeah. you tick in every box. Everything's covered off. Of course, you've got the difficulty of having to actually learn yeah. the thing. But again, it, you know, right. most of the references there point to existing bodies of code or existing mm -hmm. solutions that people have, have produced that at least give you a you know a starting point. Um, Tableau, I think every chart apart from one, which um, I think is a sort of a three D sort of prism spiky map 
thing, um, which isn't the worst thing. Let's let's face it, not to have. Um, everyone, right. everyone's covered off there. So again, you know, some of the solutions that people have, have kind of found to to problems, um, you know, things with bendy lines like Sankey diagrams and chord diagrams that you think that's just an outrageous solution, but you know they've they've cracked it. So. You know, yeah. beyond that, I think some surprise hits have been. I mean, Excel again. I'll mention Excel, but even things like um, the the expansion of Microsoft Office Power BI. That's the the word I was looking for. Right, right, right. Yeah. Again, there are some tools there that have, have really had a, a dominance from submissions mm-hmm. that have really kind of ca- captured the idea of what it's trying to do. That I think will just just give people a bit more of a I don't know a chance to kind of expand what they can do visually, which I think is always what we're doing, looking for yeah. that next. I, I mean, I, what I love about it is that it is a resource of tutorials. Mm. And, you know, everyone has their list of resources out there. And that's great. Um, but the question is obviously, you know, which one is right for me? Yeah. And, you know, if I can see that, yes, D3 might have a very steep learning curve for, for certain people, but here's 45 you know, bits of code and tutorials I can use to go learn how to make yeah. these things. Then, and here's the payoff that the you've got ultimate expressiveness. Right. right, right, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's along a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's a it's a it's a grid, as it were. Well, it's a cool project, so I'll have to get back in, make sure I can build up a bigger lead <laughs> over over Mark. The other project I think sounds like it's taken up a bit of your time is the the little of visualization design. Mm. These blog posts that you've been putting out, I don't know, it feels like every week you come out with a couple more. You want to talk about that a little bit, and then maybe we can talk about your approach to blogging. And yeah, um, yes. The, the little viz. This is a, a, an occasional post that I do on the on the site, which is to kind of find one niche, little, small design decisions that I've seen in a visualization project that I just felt was, you know, merit worthy of comment or to just kind of share as a as a piece of good practice. Also. Less frequently, but on occasion, uh, also an example of bad practice. But I guess my big picture view of visualization has always been that it's complex rather than necessarily complicated, although there are complicated edges to it. Uh, and with complexity, you've got lots of small things, lots of little decisions that that make up this whole that are all kind of interrelated and interconnected. And and so when when I try and um, make the subject accessible to others, what I'm trying to do is is break it down to these small building blocks that make that make the whole, but also have a big impact on that whole. And so this this collection of, of postings is just these little one-off things that I've seen that I really wanted to bring to the surface as, as examples of how small the thinking gets in visualization. We are responsible for every single pixel that's left on that mm. screen or every dot that's left on that page. And so we need to take care of that level of granularity and detail. So it's it's a it's a posting format that I kind of stumbled across that um and kind of edging into that discussion about blogging i mean blogging's it's it's hard work you know yourself it's hard work it's what you see on the page that's produced is the consequence of usually quite maybe a a couple of hours minimum work you've edited you've thought of ideas you've structured stuff and so I'm i'm often looking for ways to counter the longer form postings with things that i can just kind of mobilize quite quickly so this idea of Here's one thing that I've seen in this project. Here's why it's cool. Here's the image. Let's move on to the next post. It just gives me a more replicable format to uh, to kind of keep, hopefully, the, the volume of posts up, although that's something that I 
I do feel I'm I'm sort of struggling you know, in this year. It's a really interesting point because I I feel like there's even within the data viz field, right? There's sort of these two sides. There's like the medium posts mm-hmm. that go on forever, yeah. um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean sometimes it's a bad way, but sometimes it's, you know they're very yeah, good yeah. and the length is justified. And then I don't know, like Alberto Cairo, for example, a lot of his blog posts are, are short. Yeah. You know, they're they're you yeah. know maybe like you said maybe a couple sentences and then a graph yeah. and that's it and he's moved on to the next thing. And I don't know which way is right. You know, I refer to the podcast as lazy man's blogging because, you know, <laughs> I can just sit yeah, down and chat. You mentioned right? that one. I think it's, uh, yeah. it's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so are you still writing the longer form posts about bigger topics or have you sort of focused on, okay, I've got a big project, the chart maker directory. I've got the little viz project. You've got your monthly roundups mm. that I also want to ask you about. But how are you approaching it now? And, and how does it, how do you think about it relative to like, you know, Twitter and Facebook and the social media? Yeah. Stuff? And I mean, it's a really kind of fluid approach, I guess, but it's also hugely constrained around just availability and, and energy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I th- you know, just sort of taking a step back, I started blogging, I think, just under eight years ago, I think it is now. And I guess at the time there were, there were very few others doing it. So in a sense, you could write, a fairly low level, uh, low hanging fruit post about a dumb pie chart. And you'd yeah. get a few visitors. Um, and you get a few, I don't think it was even retweets back then. Twitter wasn't a thing really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you could kind of get away with those things. And then, and then you might start to, to do posts around here's the latest project I've seen, you know, from here, from this studio, whatever. Uh, I guess that's probably something that you, you would associate perhaps with Nathan's site. You know, here's a here's a, a you know a cutting edge piece of work that's out this week. But then I kind of found that a, a little bit hard to keep on top of because it's it, as the field grew, you you couldn't display and share every project that was out that week because it was it was too too numerous. So I guess I'd try to find a, a new angle, which was to kind of become critical, not in a criticism sense, but critical in terms of thinking about the design choices that people are making as the kind of core the kind of core focus but going back to the question about long form i still have every intent of doing long form pieces but they're just so few and far between i would say over this last 18 months because they just take too long and yeah. especially when um and, and this is something you're also facing or faced when you've in the background got book writing projects you kind mm. of run out of words you know have, have you all my good words <laughs> in the book i've got i've got nothing cohesive left to say <laughs> on on, uh, on on a blog post, so and, and you know, you mentioned Medium. I think you know Medium is a, a great platform. But what I find about that is that it's it actually leaves me forgetting who the author is. It's, it leaves it quite anonymous. Mm. You know, often yeah. great content, but you kind of forget who's written it. And I think that's something you lose when you don't publish on your own site as well. I mean, obviously you can cross post, but I think uh, you know it's still important. And certainly in my world, it's still important to to keep feeding the blog machine because that's that's effectively my shop window to get the footfall in to then see, you know, other offerings commercially. And right. if I stopped blogging, well, would that footfall dry up? I suspect it would. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting thing. And then, of course, you've got social media. And, and I would suggest that from just looking at the, my site visitor levels that a lot of people aren't even going beyond the snippet that they will see 
in a tweet, for example, or in a Facebook mm-hmm. post, you might get the first paragraph of text and that might be enough for them to say, okay, I've got a gist about what that's going on about. So I think social media is now, in a sense, although it gives you access to perhaps more people, it also gives people an excuse not to go that click further and, and actually visit the mm-hmm. site. Right. For those who are interested, what, what are the blogs that Andy Kirk regularly looks at? Oh, that's a good question. We've mentioned a few already. The other ones? Yeah, that you, uh, I know. Really I think perhaps one of the most interesting, um, I guess, writers about data I think, is Lisa Roast. I mean, I, I've always thought she's a, an extremely thoughtful observer of the field. And as, as I guess over the last three or four years, she's kind of emerged from you know, sort of post graduation into into a career and I, I find her posts extremely kind of refreshing and, and, and she asks questions that we're all asking but probably some of us yeah. are, are afraid to ask because they might be quite um, simplistic in, in some respects but it's a brilliant way that she then brings that back to a a kind of uh, a conviction or a, a solution or a, a point of view. Also Alan Smith's chart doctor on the on the FTs mm-hmm. and you know another great really astute slices of of comments about different aspects of the field especially you know from the you know the call face you know from the context of the, of the newspaper environment so i think they're just two that i would pick out as being you know on my yeah on my favorites but again i'm I'm bouncing around every site going and it's, it's exhausting right, right. No, I, <laughs> I love that you mentioned lisa's because i think the writing that she does is great and it's deep yeah or deeper, I should say, than a lot. And, and and that's the sort of thing that I personally sort of go back and forth on because, you know, I do these little tutorials and I do some remake stuff. And then, you know, I've been writing lately about maps and thinking, trying to think a little bit mm. deeper about what we might sort of take for granted with DataViz. But her, the way she's thinking about things is in a different sort of more of a humanities approach sometimes and, yeah. and more of a data perspective. She asks the question why, yeah. but not necessarily yeah. in that sense of it being an academic why. It's it's right. why in a in a practical sense, in a human sense, and also academic where it needs to be. But it's just uh, yeah, it it just kind of it really kind of appeals to me that sort of approach. So you've been blogging, so you said like seven or eight years. Yeah. So when you look at the landscape of data visualization blogs. You know what? What's your feeling about it? Has it changed in a way that's become deeper or or shallower, or is it better? Is it worse? Is it just a lot of voices and you can't really, you know, really make that sort of comment about it? But how do you think about the evolution of blogging in in this mm. field over the last seven eight years? It's a really good question because I think in 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 some ways I would answer that by saying that I don't think it's expanded as much as we might have expected it to expand. And I think I had a conversation with um, with a delegate recently, and he was looking to try and get into the field, and he naturally expected that, you know, doing blogging would would start to get some some notice. And his concern was that, you know, has it all been said before? Is there anything new to say to stand out? And I think it's kind of an interesting point to make that. I mean, as we all know, it's such a multifaceted field that you can find any angle and you'll have tons and tons of stuff to go with. And if you just write a blog about color in visualization, then you've got a lifetime's work there. But I I feel that there's a lot of blogs that are quite, um, so for example, there's lots of blogs that are Tableau specific. So there might be Mm -hmm. much more about the techniques around that tool. And then maybe occasionally sort of a step back from that about, you know, where's Tableau evolving. I think there's, 
there's obviously a lot of use now of, of medium. So again, I, I find that there's lots of interesting stuff there, but I, I lose that sense of oh, that, that person's, you know, building up a nice portfolio of pieces there. I think you've got a few that have, you know, dropped off the scene over the last two, three years, maybe just mm-hmm. because they've evolved in their careers. Um, obviously, you've still got people like Robert and Nathan plowing, plowing away for, you know, for many, many years now. Um, so I think to come back to the question, I, th- I think it's, it's still perhaps undersupplied in the sense of broader data visualization blogs or postings. I just feel that perhaps the environment has moved on so much to, to having the, the discussions that you might otherwise articulate into a post on social media. Right. You, you're having the, the 140 or now 280 digit tweets uh, and you kind of leave it there and you might retweet it, but that's kind of done the job of what you might have otherwise posted and crafted into a posting. So I, I do feel that's probably, you know, sucked up a lot of the content that might otherwise be, be sat in posts. Yeah, that's interesting. I wanted to ask you about your, your monthly best of mm. lists. So, so <laughs> how, what? <laughs> you might detect a certain theme from that. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of, I can feel, I can feel it there's going lots, through. There's lots to unpack from that. <laughs> um, I'm not sure we have the time and, you know, I'm not sure I accept your I'm just going to lie down on a couch and we talk about this, John. <laughs> yeah. um, so <laughs> how do you collect all of that? Yeah. And then you, and then you write like, you know, I mean, not a lot, but you write a sentence or about for for each one of those. So so what's your practical uh, method of collecting yeah. those? So the, the method is, is is relatively straightforward. It's based on stuff that I come across that just strikes a chord with me at that moment in time. Um, and this can be from you know tracking my Twitter timeline. It can be, although less frequently these days, dropping into my RSS feeds um, collection on Feedly. It can be things that I, I just kind of come across in, in discussions and emails. Sometimes people do send me their work as, as, a, as a kind of a pitch to include, which is which is really nice to think that, you know, people want to be on the list and, and you know, see it as a, yeah. as a nice place to be included. But in a sense, I, I don't discourage, sorry, I don't encourage that because I want to keep it quite, um, in, in some respects, quite serendipitous in terms of what I've discovered. Um, now, the, the semi-grown that I gave in response to the question is just simply because it, it does take a hell of a lot of time to, to turn around yeah. into a post. And when we talk about long form posts, although it's not a long form written piece, you know, it does kind of take me two or three hours most months. And I've got, <laughs> I started uh, the latest one this morning and I just, I just walked away from it. I just didn't have the time and energy <laughs> for it, but um, you know, it, it's, it's a list. And I guess at the start eight years ago, and I started this, it was very much just a public bookmark service in fact it probably didn't represent the best of so much as it represented the field such was the infrequency of new new things being published but now it's it is very hard to keep on top of a genuine you know an authentic best of but again it's it, it's my personal collection so in a sense the the best of moniker is, is perhaps a a bit of a clickbaity thing these days but it's still good stuff i mean i don't use that yeah. to, to share dumb oh. dumb projects but um it's it, it going back to the point of it being a list, and I've had loads of emails down the year saying, "Can you make it more visual? Can you put us a thumbnail up there? Can you can you just do more to make it easier for me?" Right, sure, just do more. 
You can do more yeah, for free. And, That's uh, what we want. We want. We want. We want more of a pay less. And I've kind of always understood that, but I've, I've had to just reject it just for the practicalities of, of, of turning it around. I might be able to find some some plugins to to make it possible, but I, I don't know. There's maybe a certain resistance now to change this kind of old school, right? <laughs> the old yeah, school the charm of a bullet point nice. list. Yeah. So I think yeah. it will probably stay as it is now. But it, it, it's interesting because I do go back over over previous months, and you know I've got eight years of it now. Um, so there's, right. you know, there's tons of monthly postings to, to, to track, I guess, the evolution of the field. Um, my challenge now is is to kind of perhaps reevaluate the method I use to to find and isolate these good pieces, so it's not just those that are our loudest spoken. You know, it's very easy uh, to right. find a good New York Times graphic from last month. It's less easy to find that freelancer in in South Africa who's published a great piece of work. That hasn't right. quite got the, the the traction online, but is is out there. So I, I just need to kind of you know readable my efforts to make sure that I'm I'm seeing all the stuff that's out there as much as I can, mm-hmm. and you know, and then just just to you know represent the field in, in its broadest sense. Right. Yeah, that that's tricky, and I think the geographic and racial and ethnic diversity is is something that you know we've we've all talked about for a while. So um, certainly something. But when I'm collecting things, just practically. Mm. When I'm collecting things, I have like 900 different things that I'm using. But but when I really find something that I'm like, oh, this is good. I can use this to teach with this. I have a folder with all the hundreds of graphs and an Excel file that has the name of the file and the and the URL. So do you? So so when you're pulling this list together, are, at the end of the month, are you then sifting through your RSS feeds and your email and your favorites and trying to do that, or do you have more of a centralized place where you're saving these over the course of the month and then? And then yeah, well, I mean, in very practical terms that most of it is saved as a bookmark with um pocket pocket packet mm. pocket yeah um and then just translate into bookmarks into a i've got a my google chrome bookmarks so it kind of builds up there mm-hmm. and am i it's, it's strange how frequently on a monthly basis I, I end up with roughly around 150 to 170 bookmarks that i, I then might sort of whittle down to about 110 120 that make it to the yeah. final cut, but I'm I'm trying to be representative of as well of not just new visualization pieces, but also articles, um, sort of learning resources, just general subject news. If there's been anything that's significant that's happened in the last right. month, so and then just some random what I term sundries, which is just things that are perhaps loosely associated with the the world of visuals, but might not necessarily mm. be just data visit itself, but. And then, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of dump them after that. And then, but maybe the, the you know the handful of those that have also just ticked something in my mind that says, ah, this could be something that you might use in uh, in the training materials. So just store that in, in another folder for material yeah. updates. So there's a certain amount of systematic treatment, but perhaps not to the extent of uh, of uh, kind of Excel, you know. Little sort right. of da- databases. Well, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I have. <clears throat> I was using Pocket for a while, and I'm using Pinterest, and I'm using Excel, and I'm using mm. all these things, and they never seem to quite be satisfactory. But um, I'm sure no one has a solution no. to that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so before we finish up, looking forward next year, 2018, what are you looking forward to? What are you hopeful for? What am I hopeful for? Visual data. Data is yeah. wide. I think we, you know, we all have you know, things to be hopeful and certainly grateful for. But um, in the field, what are you looking for for next year? It's a really good question. And, and you know, I've, I've done a few um, sort of end of year 
um, podcasts in the, in the in the past, and and looking forward is always difficult, and it's always difficult to say something more interesting than more of the same. But I, I, I do feel more of the same is is legitimate because I think we're in a in a fairly healthy state right now. I, d- I did wonder about the direction of the field, say post election, U.S. election, as you know, this kind of mirror was shone upon. Obviously, journalism, but then by extension, data journalism, and then by extension, visualization as a medium. And I don't feel like we've come out the other side of that, but I do feel that there's probably been a, a, an awakening of the importance of things like visualization literacy amongst readerships and amongst, uh, sorry, and, you know, sort of more refined thinking around how we show things like uncertainties and, and probabilities. And I, I feel that the, the field is probably healthier as a result for it. I think the the biggest direction of travel that I uh, I guess I've seen, and this is perhaps more of a sort of two to three year journey, is just again a, a better representation, at least in terms of gender gender balance in the field. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I do track the attendees at my workshops, and there's there's been a switch this last I'd say three years, and it's now. I would say 55% female, 45% male are coming to these events, which suggests that there's a pipeline there that's very healthy for the field. And I think, you know, that's now moving on to, you know, very visible female practitioners and, uh, well, sorry, there's always been very visible female practitioners, but even more representative. Um, So hopefully that will continue to be a trend. But otherwise, you know, there's one or two tools that are not yet live products that are bubbling away under the surface. I'm aware of that. I think if they came into the uh, into the reckoning, could be a very positive move to to bridge some of the gaps that we've got in that tool space right now. So that would always be mm-hmm. be very helpful. But no, more more of the same, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, and continuation of a lot of good work. I think that that we've seen mm. this year. And you also have what was the other project? Oh, your Viz book, the Viz book flip book, probably, yeah, probably yeah. the most important Flipping project through. of the year um, <laughs> for, for many people. <laughs> they just don't, yeah, they just don't know this. it yet. Yeah, um, yeah. This <laughs> this was a you know the sort of project that comes to mind when you might have had a couple of drinks. I, I, I can't legally confirm or deny that, but this was uh, an attempt to to photograph every two page spread of my book, but not by myself, but by people who own the book but then right. to kind of you know to do that photograph in interesting scenes around the world around the planet so yeah so if you do own my book and if you don't we need to sort that out anyway and it's you know, yeah i mean that's ridiculous you know, the time you know presents amazon vouchers etc etc but if you've got the book then i would very much welcome uh two page spread photographs two per person max uh of a page of your choice from anywhere around the world now there's a to get very boring and administrative there's a google spreadsheet for you to reserve your pages of choice but then when, when i get all these pages back in i'm going to create a sort of an interactive um, sort of carousel view of it i'm going to put together right. a, a little animated gif of it um you know there'll be lots of little crazy things come out at the end of it and but we've just hit the 50 percent mark so we're halfway through there so oh, wow. plenty of scope for some uh, for some more submissions yeah, and it's a and it's a, and it's a big book. You know, you should have you should have written less. You should have written less. That's that's. Well, I'm starting the second edition edition next year, and um, oh, okay. You know, I'd like to re- reduce that to about 100 pages, just <laughs> just to make it more viable. Right, right. So these flipbook projects could be so much easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you just exactly. write less. That's all. <laughs> 
Um, well, this is great. Andy, uh, thanks so much for coming pleasure, on the show. Sean. Always great talking me. to you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. I hope you've had a great 2017 and looking forward to a great 2018. Have a happy holidays. Have a happy new year. This has been the Policy of Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening.